You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, very good. Well, let's pray and let's get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for just the privilege that we have to be able to gather in the name of Jesus and to gather around your Word. And Father, we believe tonight to be taught. We thank you, Father, for the Word of God is alive. It's not just ink and paper, Father. I thank you that you have breathed into it your life, your spirit, your anointing. And Father, as we feed upon it, I thank you that it not only feeds our spirits, but it causes our faith to grow. And Father, we believe tonight for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to bring revelation and insight. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus said he is the teacher and that he would lead and guide us into all truth so we can expect to be taught tonight. I thank you, Father, that all of us will leave this time together better than when we started. And we thank you for it, and we give you praise for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this is week number seven in our series on the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, let's look at the foundation scripture for this particular series of messages. And uh, by the way, I want to encourage you to do like, um, I know Alan and Judy do this. I know my parents do this. My mom does this. Um, if you can download the notes off of the website and uh, then you'll have everything in case you miss it. Uh, something that I say uh, during the, the context of the message. And also I try and get them out there before we start. So if you have time and you have the means to be able to print it, you can download it and print it and follow along. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1 in the New King James says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And as we've been saying, the word gifts there is in italics, so that means it was added at the privilege of the translators. And so uh, I like the Bible in basic English, the translation, or yeah, that translation says, But about the things of the Spirit, my brothers, it is not right for you to be without teaching. And so the Holy Spirit, as I have been saying to you, has led us at least once a year to spend some quality time talking about the Holy Spirit, minister to Him. You know, I, I think in times past, I know I've been guilty of this, and I, I think in the body of Christ at large, we don't spend enough time talking about the Holy Spirit and His ministry and His importance in our life. And uh, so we're endeavoring to do that. And so we, uh, of course, spent the last number of weeks talking about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all those aspects of that. And now we've moved over into being led by the Spirit. And so I, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, please. And let's look at a couple scriptures there. Ephesians chapter 5. And um, I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Amplified. And we're going to begin in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly. That's an old English word that means to be fully aware, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified. The Amplified says, look carefully then how you walk, live purposefully and worthily and accurately. I like that. Not as the unwise and witless or unknowing, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, verse 17, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. Now turn over with me to Colossians chapter one, please. Colossians chapter one, just go over a few pages to the right. Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 9. And this is a record of a prayer that Paul had prayed for the Christians, the church at Colossae. And uh, it says this in the uh, New King James, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I like the fact that Paul said that he prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just a little bit of knowledge, but filled with it. And so the, the Message Bible says this, be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. And so these two scriptures, and there are others, but these two scriptures tell us that it is the will of God for us to know what the will of God is, and specifically for our lives. And so I believe that if, if the Lord did not intend for us to know what the will of God is for our lives, then he wouldn't have put these scriptures in here saying that we should know what the will of God is. And so, you know, if and I mentioned this to you last week, if there's one area that I've heard uh, people, and, and I, you know, early on in my Christian walk, I struggled with this too, but trying to determine what is the will of God for my life. You know, I'm, maybe you, you come to a crossroads and you need to make some major decisions. And so, you know, trying to figure out what is it that God wants me to do and to, you know, I, I just believe that people want to follow, people that love God want to follow his plan for their lives. But the, the challenge is that very often we find it difficult to, to determine what the will of God is, but that is not the plan of God. God has made it very easy for us to know what his will is. And so now it takes some effort on our part, but here's my point. God is not hiding his will from us. He's doing his very best to try and reveal it to us, okay? So we said last week, the will of God for us can be divided into two major categories, okay? And number one is the general will of God, the, the overarching general will of God for our lives and those are the things that if you can read the word of God, you can find out what the general will of God is for your life. You know, it would amaze you how detailed the Bible is 
about different aspects of our lives and you know it would avoid help us to avoid a lot of heartache you know um i'll give you a great example the scripture tells us in second corinthians six fourteen, not to be yoked together with unbelievers but yet the the interesting thing is is i hear occasionally about christians who desire uh to have relationship i'm talking about uh, a spouse relationship to get married to someone who is not a christian and you know maybe with the intent that they'll get them saved once they get married and so forth well the scripture is very clear on what the will of god <laughs> is and that is that we should not be yoked together with unbelievers and uh you know believe god and pray for them to get saved and then once they are saved then you know pursue that relationship but yet I see people get into relationships not heeding what the will of God is from the word. And so therefore they get into trouble and, uh, you know, find themselves in hardships and then can't understand why they're in the situations that they're in. Well, if, if we would, you know, figure it out, you know, let's take it a step further. That scripture, I believe, also would cover, you know, if you're in a business relationship and I'm talking about a very, very close relationship. You really shouldn't be in a close, close business relationship with someone who does not have the same values and beliefs that you do as far as uh, pursuing the will of God, because you're going to find that at some point your business is going to be faced with some decisions on whether to compromise some areas that maybe you hold as, as, as very, very important and the other person does not and they're willing to compromise and yet you aren't because of the things that the Bible says. And so therefore you put yourself in a sticky situation and God wants to help us avoid those kind of situations. That's just one example. Okay. So that's the general will of God for our lives. The other area is the specific will of God for our, our lives. You know, there are some things that just aren't revealed to us in the word of God. Uh, you know, where do I need to live? Let's say you, you know, are starting out as an adult and you are getting out of college, getting out of school or whatever the case is. Where does God want me to live? Where does God want me to work? Where, you know, specific things like that, that the Bible is not going to lay out for you, that you are going to have to depend on the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit in order to reveal those things to you. And, and yes, God is interested in those details of your life. God is interested in where you work. God is interested in where you live. And here's why, because he has an assignment for you to fulfill. You know, you need to look at an occupation as something more than a place to earn a paycheck. It could be a mission field for you. It could be a place where God desires for you to serve and to minister to people. Where you live is important because God may have some place that he wants you to live because there's somebody there that he wants you to reach and minister to. So there's the general will of God and then there's the specific will of God. And so began last week talking about uh, seven things that we need to establish. And these are basic things that we've talked about, but, I, but it again is important enough that we need to hear it again. So let's talk about these seven things where being led by the Holy Spirit is concerned. Okay, here's number one. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. 
You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Okay? Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, don't worry about turning there, but it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you need to understand that first and foremost, you are a spirit being. You possess a soul made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a physical body, okay? So it's very important that you understand that, all right? Now, because as, you see, as we get into these things, you're gonna understand where direction comes from, okay? So that's number one. Here's number two. When you received Christ, your spirit was made new when you were born again. When you were born again, and I don't fully understand this, I just have to take it at face value because the word says it. Uh, maybe when we get to heaven, we'll understand a little more clearly, but when you received Christ, your, or before you received Christ, your spirit was dead. It did not have any life to it. It was spiritually dead, separated from God. And the very moment that you gave your heart to Jesus and you made him the Lord of your life, by the Holy Spirit, God recreated a new spirit on the inside of you. That old dead spirit was removed and therefore, a new spirit was put on the inside of you. Uh, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means, and this is the New Living Translation, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You know, the Greek language of that verse says this, that, uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new species of being that has never existed before. And so what that means is, is that your spirit, again, was totally recreated. You weren't renovated. You were recreated. Two different things, okay? You know, you can get an old piece of furniture and renovate it and fix it up. You can buy an old house and renovate it and flip it. It's still the same house, but it's just been redone. Well, your spirit is not redone. Your spirit is reborn. It is brand new, okay? Now, here's number three. The Bible tells us that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Your physical body is to be presented to God as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, again in the New Living, says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So God has dealt with our spirits. They were born again when we received Christ. But it is our responsibility to do something with our physical bodies. And so what God says is for us to offer them to him as a living sacrifice. Now, here's number four. 
we must renew our minds. And, and I can take it a step further and say, we must renew our souls to the Word of God or with the Word of God. So you need to renew your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions with the Word of God. Okay? Romans 12, 2. Again, in the New Living, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn, Look, listen to this, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. So in Romans 12, 1, he tells us what to do with our bodies. And in Romans 12, 2, he tells us what to do with our minds. Now, I like the way the New Living articulates this. It says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Now, what's interesting again to me is God put it in our, it's our responsibility to do something with our bodies and it is our responsibility to do something with our minds. Now, what this verse also implies is that it is possible for a person that is born again to not live a transformed, changed life because they haven't renewed their minds. They haven't changed the way that they're thinking, okay? And so that's how you can see, you know, and we're not judging people, but that's how you can see somebody that you know, has maybe uh, claimed to give their heart to Christ, but yet they're still living in a lot of ways the same way that they used to before they gave their heart to Christ. It's because they haven't changed their thinking. They haven't done what is necessary in order to uh, transform their lives, and that is to renew our minds. So again, God dealt with your spirit. He, he caused your spirit to be born again. But it is your responsibility to do something with your physical body, and it is your responsibility to do something with your mind to change your thinking. Okay? Now, here's number five God lives in you by the Holy Spirit in your spirit. God lives in you by the Holy Spirit in your spirit. Okay, now God doesn't live in your mind. God doesn't live in your body per se. He lives in your spirit. Now, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15 says this Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So when you got born again, God, by the Holy Spirit, moved in on the inside of you. He moved into your spirit, okay? He lives there, all right? So that's why your spirit was born again so that God would have a place to dwell, a place that he could live. Number six, God will guide us, enlighten us, and lead us through our recreated human spirits. Let me say that again. God will guide us, enlighten us, and lead us through our recreated human spirits. 
Okay, so if we're seeking direction from the Lord, like let's say you need to make a decision, you're at a crossroads and you need to make a decision for your life, what a lot of Christians do is they look on the outside for direction where we should be looking on the inside for direction, where God lives and dwells, okay? So direction, revelation, insight, um, divine information is going to come to you through and by and out of your spirit, okay? So, you know, I, I, I'll just say this. When I was young, when I was a teenager and I had uh, given my heart to Christ and you know, wanted to follow the will of God for my life. I had a, a man who was a mentor of mine that I love, you know, and he's gone to heaven now, but uh, just a wonderful man. But, you know, he said, he, I remember him telling me one time, the way that you find out what the will of God is, that if you, if you need to make a decision, let's say you have a couple of different opportunities, two or three different opportunities in front of you, then what you do is you just try the door and whichever door opens for you, that's the one that God wants you to go through. Well, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're depending on external circumstances to tell you what the will of God is. And uh, you know, the only problem with that line of thinking is, is that the devil can open doors for you as well. So that is not a safe way for you to figure out what the will of God is, okay? Now, I know the scripture says in Revelation that uh, the Son of Man opens doors that no man can shut. What he's talking about there are opportunities for ministry, okay? Doors of opportunity for ministry. Not trying to make life-changing, life-altering decisions, okay? See, what we need to do is we need to learn to look in here first and not out here, okay? So God is going to bring that direction to us. Proverbs 20, verse 27. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says this, The human spirit is the lamp or light of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. So again, in our spirits is where God lives and dwells. So light from God is going to come to us from our spirits, okay? Number seven is this. As a child of God, you have a right to be led by the Spirit of God. As a child of God, you have a right to be led by the Spirit of God. It is your birthright as a child of God to uh, be led by the Spirit of God. I mean, what would you think about an earthly father that claimed that he loved his children, wanted the best for his children, but yet when they would come to him and seek his advice and direction for their lives, he wouldn't answer them. And he would say, no, that's, that's a secret. I can't tell you that. I mean, you, you'd think something was wrong with that relationship. Well, there's a lot of believers that think that God functions the same way, that the will of God is some big way off mystery. And, uh, you know, God's tr not trying to reveal it to us. In other words, he doesn't make it very clear. And, and you know, just all those types of things. And, and you know, it just makes it difficult for us to find out. And that is not the way God operates. That is not the way God functions. God clearly 
wants you to know what the will of God is for your life. Romans 8.14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8.14. So you could take that scripture and say this, The sons of God are the ones that are led by the Spirit of God. Okay? So God clearly wants you to know the direction that he has planned for your life. He wants you to know what his will is for your life. So, how then does the Spirit of God lead me? How does he bring direction to our lives? Well, there are four ways. I'll give the four to you and then we'll dive into them, okay? Here's number one. This is the primary way that God is going to lead you. Number one, through the written word of God. The written word of God. Okay? God is going to lead you primarily through the written word of God. I would say probably 70 to 80% of the direction that you're going to need for your life, you can find from the written word of God. You know, how to behave, how to conduct yourself. You know, if you study the book of Proverbs, it, it'll tell you how to conduct business, how to... Uh, you know, carry yourself in a day-to-day -day environment, so forth and so on. So the written Word of God provides a lot of direction for us. Number two is what's called the inward witness. The inward witness. And we'll define these and get into the details of them. Number three is called the inward voice or also it's known as the voice of your spirit. Your spirit has a voice, okay? So there's the inward witness, and then there is the inward voice, number three, or the voice of your spirit, okay? And then number four is the voice of the Holy Spirit, okay? The voice of the Holy Spirit. Now what you'll find as we study these four is that they become more demonstrative, or I started to use the word dramatic, but that's not a fair word. Um, emphatic might be a, a better way of saying it. Uh, so starting with the lowest, going to the highest. So in other words, and I'll just say this, if it gets to the point where you're, you're needing direction by the voice of the Holy Spirit, it is usually regarding something major in your life, okay? In other words, uh, there's impending disaster or danger or something that he's endeavoring to get across to you. And so you'll see that as we get into it. So again, going back to number one, the written word of God, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but again, the, the word of God spells out certain things for us in our relationships and how we conduct ourselves in our lives. So, so you can clearly find direction from the Word of God. And thank goodness for the resources that we have today. You know, I'm uh, just in the, the 40 some odd years, 44 years, no, 45 years that I've been a Christian. You know, I've seen technology change a lot. But, you know, if you wanted to do some Bible study to find out some specific details about some things, I mean, you had to get concordances and dictionaries and all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, I don't begrudge that at all. It was kind of fun at sometimes. But thank God for technology because now, 
you can go to Brother Google and, and type in something and, you know, Google pr can provide scriptural references for you. So, you know, if you had a, a question is, is uh, you know, healing the will of God for my life, well, you could do a search for that. And man, there's tons of resources available on that. You know, all kinds of things like that. So uh, with a little bit of effort, you can find out some details from the Word of God concerning what the will of God is for your life. Now, here's number two, this thing called the inward witness. The inward witness, okay? The inward witness. Now, let's go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And look at verse 16. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. And the scripture says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, what does this mean? The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. Well, let me just use myself as an example. You know, I, as I mentioned to you, I've been born again for a while, but you know, I have never been to heaven, never had a visitation by the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never, uh, you know, seeing uh, angelic, you know, beings and all kinds of things like that. Never, never experienced that type of thing. However, I know that I know that I know in my heart, in my spirit, that if my heart was to stop beating and I was to pass away, I would spend an eternity in heaven. How do I know that? Well, of course, the Word tells me that, but there is something on the inside of me that bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am born again, that I have God living on the inside of me. And, and you can beat me with a baseball bat and never be able to talk me out of that, get me to say something else. So. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I would venture to say all of you are the same. I mean, why would you spend time on a Bible study, you know, if you didn't have that conviction, if you will, we call it that sometimes, on the inside of you that, that you are a child of God, you hunger for God, you want to grow in your relationship with God. That's all because of this thing called the inward witness. Now, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10, the first part of that verse says this, just make a note of that, 1 John 5, 10 says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. Okay, so there is a knowing that takes place on the inside of you when you have given your heart to Christ when you have been born again, okay? So God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is just, again, that knowing down on the inside of us. 
Now, just I'm going to pose this to you in the form of a question, but I want you to think it through with me. There, being born again, deciding to give your heart to Jesus, to surrender your life to Him, is the most important decision you could make in your life. I think we would all agree with that because everything hinges on that. Uh, you know, even if you don't experience anything else from God, that is the most important thing that you can experience as a human being, and that is to be born again, to give your heart to Christ. So if the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit about that most important decision, who's to say that he would not do the same thing for you and in you with every other decision that you face, with every other thing that you need to deal with? I believe that he does. I believe that the Spirit of God, you know, if, if he deals with us and, and bears witness with that most important decision, that he'll bear witness with all of the decisions that we have in our lives, okay? Now, what does this mean, an inward witness? Um, I've heard it said, you know, and I can't, I can't improve on this, but, um, and I think once I say this, you will probably identify with this, in that when that inward witness is active and something bears witness in your spirit, there will be a peaceful, warm, uh, and I don't mean temperature wise, I just mean at peace. In other words, you will know something is right down here in your spirit. Okay. You don't necessarily hear words or anything like that. It's just a knowing down here in your spirit. Now, let me give you the opposite, and I think you could probably identify with this too, that when, when your spirit, the inward witness is trying to tell you that something is wrong, there will be like a scratchy feeling down here in your spirit. There will be something, a buzzer, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I, I lack the words to describe it, but something down here will be telling you that something is wrong that there is something not right about whatever the situation is that you're facing. You know, if you've ever met someone and, uh, you know, in the positive sense, uh, you met them and you just had a peace about, uh, you know, their friendship, the relationship, uh, you know, you, you might hear somebody say, well, you know, I met so-and-so and I just feel like we've been friends forever. You know, it's just, there is a peace about that person but you've probably also met people where you, you couldn't see anything wrong, there wasn't anything visible to you, but right down here in your spirit, you knew something is not right about that situation. And you know, we don't guess, we don't speculate, we don't judge and all of that, but what the Holy Spirit by your spirit or in your spirit is bearing witness to it either being right or it either being wrong, okay? So let's look at Acts chapter 27, please. Brad. Yes, ma'am. A good book uh, by Marilyn Chadwick. Sometimes he whispers, sometimes he roars. Oh yeah. It's an excellent one. All right, Acts chapter 27, look at verse nine. Now this is, towards the end of the book of Acts, when Paul is on his way to Rome, 
uh, to be brought before Caesar. He was put on a ship uh, to be uh, to sail to Rome and and um, be carried there. In verse eight, it says, "Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia." Verse nine. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Now, notice what Paul said and pay attention to the details. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Now notice what Paul said in verse 10. He, he didn't say, sirs, I've had a vision. Sirs, um, I, I, I watched the weather report on, new, on the news and got some information. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they told, no, he said, I perceive. In other words, he just had something down on the inside of him in his spirit that was telling him that this voyage is not going to go well. It is not going to go well. Now, he didn't have any great details. He didn't have, you know, he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. He just knew, he perceived in his spirit that the voyage would end with disaster and much loss. So the Holy Spirit was bearing witness in Paul's spirit that it's not right, that they shouldn't leave at this particular time. You know, I, I heard some testimonies of people that, uh, you know, were going to work on September the 11th at the trade towers, at the trade center in the towers. And, and I heard a, a couple of different testimonies how uh, one particular, and I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, but they woke up that morning and they just knew in their spirits something was wrong and that they needed to wait and delay going into work. And so they did, and of course, you know, the rest is history, and they averted or avoided that disaster because the Holy Spirit bore witness in their spirit that something was going to happen, okay? Now, go over with me to Colossians chapter 3, please. Now, again, notice Paul didn't have a vision. He didn't have a you know, this humongous detailed revelation. It was just a perception, a knowing in his spirit that it wasn't going to go right. Okay, that's the inward witness. Now, the Holy Spirit will confirm that something is good and proper in your spirit in the same way by bringing peace in your spirit. Okay, now let's look at Colossians 3.15 in the, the New King James it says, and, and let the, the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now let me read it to you out of the Amplified, okay? And let the peace, the soul harmony which comes from Christ, rule, and parenthetically, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds. In that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body, you were called to live. So what Paul is telling us is that we need to learn to let that peace, and I like the way the Amplified says this, 
act as an umpire continually in your heart. Now, I'm going to put Alan on the spot here. Uh, pretty much as long as I can remember, Alan has umpired for baseball, softball, and just about all. Uh, he's refereed basketball games, I believe, haven't you, Alan? Yeah. Okay. All right. So tell us, let's say baseball or softball, what is the job, what is the umpire supposed to do in, in a baseball or softball game? Control the game. Control the game. What else? Be sure the rules are followed. Um, is the umpire ever put into a situation to where they have to make a decision on whether someone was out or safe? Definitely. Okay. All the where, time. <laughs> yeah, all the time. So, and, and you know, you might have been put in positions where the players and even the, the people in the bleachers might have seen it one way but you saw it a different way, correct? Right. Okay, so they thought he was safe, but you had to call it out because of the way you saw it, right? Right. Okay. All right, so what Paul is telling us is that peace, if we will learn to follow that peace, that inward witness in our spirits, that he will help us or that peace will help us to determine whether something is safe or something is out of bounds or, or out, okay? And, and if we will learn to follow that, we will be able to make the right calls all the time, okay? And I, I can, you know, I think back over my life, there uh, have been times when, you know, I, I knew in my spirit it was that, that a particular situation was not right, but I, I'm just as hard-headed as y'all are, and, and I did it anyway, and ended up causing myself a whole bunch of problems. And you, you know, you ever heard anybody say this, or maybe you've said this, after you said or did something, you, these words came out of your mouth. I knew I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I knew I shouldn't have said that, okay? Well, the problem is you didn't act on what you knew. And so what God wants us to do is to learn how to act on what we know already in our spirits. Because here's the good news. And, and you know, this is what we need to remember. The Holy Spirit knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how that situation's gonna turn out. He knows how that relationship's gonna turn out. He knows how that opportunity's gonna turn out. He knows everything and he loves us and God loves us enough that he wants to help us avoid hurt and harm and things that will cause us problems. And if we'll just learn to be sensitive to him in this area right here, I promise you it will help you to avoid a whole lot of issues in your life. Okay? so. That's what that's all about. That's the inward witness. And this is really one of, I would say the largest, next to the word of God is the, the, the most important way that God's gonna attempt to lead you is through the inward witness. You're gonna, you, you might be in a situation where you're gonna be like Paul. You know, I can't give you any details. I just know it's not right. Or I just feel good. I feel peaceful about this situation. And so I believe it's the right thing for us to do. Now, you know, going back to the illustration that with Alan and, and umpiring is that 
there are going to be times and there may be times in your life where everybody around you is telling you that that is wrong. It's a bad decision, but you have peace down here in your spirit and you know that it's a right decision and uh, you need to pursue it. So sometimes you're going to have to let the Holy Spirit be the umpire in your heart and make that call even when everybody around you is saying you should go in a different direction. All right. So let's talk about the third way the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. And that is through the inward voice. This thing called the inward voice or the voice of your recreated human spirit. Now we have another name we call that and that is our conscience. Your conscience. Okay. Your conscience is a little bit stronger than that inward witness. Okay, your conscience. Now your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. And it will relate to your mind what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. Okay, your conscience will relate to your mind what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart. Okay, go over with me to Romans chapter 9, please. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. Now, Paul, uh, writing to the church at Rome, had a great, and I'm sure he carried this all, all of his Christian life, but he had a great burden for the Jewish people. He wanted to see the Jewish people open their hearts to the Lord Jesus. And so he was writing uh, to, the, to the Roman Christians, and he, he tells them in verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. In other words, I have such a great burden in my conscience is just burdened for the Jewish people. And that's what he's saying. Your conscience, in other words, of course, we know that was uh, by the Holy Spirit, but what the Holy Spirit was relaying to his mind and his will and his emotions was what uh, was being said to his spirit. Now, notice, and you know, it implies this, it doesn't come out and say it, but it implies it. Um, when you are feeling something in your conscience strong enough, it will affect your emotions. You ever uh, heard somebody say this? I just felt a burden to pray for them. Okay, Wh whatever them is or whoever them is or, you know, the situation. I just had a burden. I just had a strong burden that I needed to pray for that person. Okay, maybe, you know, if you uh, spend time praying and interceding for people, you'll sense a burden in your heart. And, and what happens is, is that thing rises up so big in your spirit mm -hmm. 
and affects your conscience that it becomes, uh, it begins to affect you emotionally. Okay. So, um, let's talk about the working of your conscience a little bit. Now, I want you to note this. Okay. This, this is important. Very, very important. The Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin. I hear Christians say that all the time. You know, the Holy Spirit convicted me of what I said or what I did or whatever. The Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin. It is your spirit that convicts you of sin. Okay? And I'm going to prove it to you from the Word in just a moment. The Holy Spirit does not convict us of our sin. It is our spirit that convicts us of our sin. Go over with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Um, let's read. I'm going to read it to you out of the New King James, and then I'm going to read it to you out of the Good News Bible. The, the New King James says this, 1 John 3, 20, For if our heart condemns us, that word actually should be convict, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not convict us, we have confidence toward God. The Good News Bible says this, if our conscience condemns us, we know that God is greater than our conscience and that he knows everything. And so, my dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, we have courage in God's presence. What, what is John saying here? That when we miss it, when we miss the mark, when we sin, our conscience is the one that brings conviction and therefore affects our courage and our, our uh, boldness to go before God. So what, what he is saying here is God knows what you did anyway, so go to him, even when your conscience is convicting you. Because no, in verse 21, he says, And so, my dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn or convict us, we have courage in God's presence. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but when I have messed up, when I have sinned, the last thing I feel like doing is going to God. I want to do like Adam did and hide, okay? Uh, you know, just so to speak, because I'm ashamed and I feel guilty. So what, but where does that guilt come from? That guilt does not come from the Holy Spirit. That guilt comes out of your own heart or out of your own spirit, okay? So what does the Holy Spirit convict people of? Well, go over with me to the Gospel of John, John 16. John 16. Verses 7 through 9. John 16, verses 7 through 9. And so Jesus tells us what the Holy Spirit's job is. He says, nevertheless... Uh, 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Uh, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
of sin because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts sinners of their need for Jesus. But once you're born again, the Holy Spirit no longer convicts you. It is your heart or your spirit that convicts you. Okay, now let me prove it to you. Take one more step and, and show you. Okay, go over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter four chap, uh, chapter four and verse one <coughs> excuse me. First Timothy chapter four and verse one says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies, verse 2, in hypocrisy, now here's where I'm getting to, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now what does that mean? That means that as a born-again believer, you can tolerate something long enough in your life and your conscience will eventually become seared to whatever it is. Um, you know, and I've used this illustration before. Well, let me read to you that the particular portion in the Passion Translation says this, that and their consciences won't bother them at all. Okay? So, let me use an illustration. Um, you know, back in Westerns, Western movies, uh, you would sometimes see if somebody got shot, you know, and they have a bullet wound, that they would take a hot iron, like a branding iron, and get it red hot, and they would touch it to where that wound is to cauterize that wound. And what were they doing? What they were doing was through that burning, they were sealing that wound. So that wound would, number one, not cause so much pain, and number two, it would avoid infection. Okay, so what Paul is telling us or what the Spirit of God is telling us is that it is possible for a believer to allow their conscience to be seared like with that hot iron so you no longer sense or feel the con conviction of, of the Lord in your heart concerning whatever it is that you might be involved in. You know, I've also used th this illustration before, and perhaps you know somebody uh, that's like this. You know, I have a friend, and and still love him to this day. But uh, you know, went to church with him. Uh, I I know he 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 loved God at the time. Of course, I haven't seen him in many many years, but um, you know, no question about his salvation. But somewhere along the line. He became convinced that it was okay to live a homosexual lifestyle. And so now he lives uh, that alternative lifestyle and doesn't feel any conviction about it in his heart whatsoever. Matter of fact, he would probably argue with you 
that, you know, the way we hear in society and in culture today that, uh, you know, God, God will allow that. God per- puts up with, the, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so, so you might step back and you'd go, well, how does somebody get to that point? Well, when you begin to dabble in certain things, your heart will convict you. But if you ignore it long enough and you keep pushing it to the side and pushing it to the side and ignoring it and pushing it to the side, pretty soon you will become numb to that and will not sense that conviction anymore in your own spirit. And that is a dangerous place to be. And that's what Paul is telling us or telling Timothy here. Uh, you know, that they'll speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So the point of me saying this to you is it is super, super important that we as believers keep a tender heart before God, that we remain tender hearted before the Lord. All right. So that we don't allow in any area for our hearts, our spirits to become seared, our consciences to become seared so that things that we know are contrary to the word, contrary to a godly lifestyle, contrary to the will of God for our lives, we no longer are convicted by those things. Okay? And so we'll stop right here and and I'm going to pick up next week and I'll talk to you about the voice of the Holy Spirit, but then I want to move over and to start talking to you about how to keep a tender heart before the Lord. There are things that we can do to make sure that we keep a tender heart before God. In other words, uh, that we keep a soft heart, a heart that, uh, you know, the Old Testament used the, the phrase, break up the fallow ground, meaning that God desires to uh, deal with us and to plant into our lives. But if our heart has become hard to those things, it is difficult for him to be able to do that. And the thing that you need to understand is God will not override your will. So if your heart becomes seared and your conscience becomes seared to those things and you choose different than what God desires for your life, he will not override your will. Now, what he will do is out of mercy and grace, he'll send people into your life to try and help you. He'll, he'll do things to try and help you. But at some point, um, he'll leave you alone in those things. And that's just not a good place to be in. It's a terrible place to be in. So we all need to keep a tender heart before the Lord. All right? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.